I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 38 this morning. Isaiah 38. We'll be looking at chapters 38 and 39 together this morning. Isaiah 38 and 39. We're finishing up with this fourth cycle of Isaiah this morning. The fourth of six cycles. Some commentators will actually divide Isaiah into two sections and not six. They'll uh, stop it uh, after or the first section after chapter 39. So it, if you're... Um, if you ever are asked to give an outline of the book of Isaiah, you can say, I know it. It's Isaiah 1 through 39 is the first section, and then 40 through 66 is the second. There's the outline of Isaiah. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm going to read this for us. I'll read all of uh, chapters 38 and 39 for us this morning. And this is God's good and kind word to you this morning, so give attention to it. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turned back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. O restore to me, O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you. As I do this day, the Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, 
What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? At that time, Merodach Baladon, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and presents to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. And he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the, the precious oil, the, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all of his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What do these men say, and from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What, is they, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouse that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us understand his word. Pray with me. Our Father, we do ask that you would help us to see uh, your glory in this passage. Through the highs and the lows of Hezekiah's life, we pray that uh, you would reveal yourself to us in our great need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, do you remember the 1997 movie, As Good As It Gets? Jack Nicholson plays a man with various mental illnesses. And because he is severely depressed, he takes a sick delight in making other people feel the way that he feels. In one scene, he looks out at his psychiatrist's busy waiting room full of other miserable and depressed people. And he says, what if this? is as good as it gets. Well, that one line delivered so well, it resonates with us because in the midst of our hard and mundane lives, we try to keep questions like that buried under a pile of busyness or entertainment. We don't want to have to face questions like that. If this life is all there is, if this really is as good as it gets, then life is meaningless And there's no point to anything that happens. Well, in this passage this morning, Isaiah presents us with an as good as it gets earthly king. And it's almost like he's begging for us to ask that question. Is this really as good as it gets? Is this king really the best we can hope for? Is he really the answer for our problems? Because if this king or any earthly king If they are the answer, then we are in big trouble. Now, we are concluding the fourth cycle of Isaiah this morning. And this is an odd conclusion because Isaiah ends on this statement from Hezekiah. There will be peace and security in my days. We just read that in 39 verse 8. Isaiah is allowing us to kind of get inside the mind of Hezekiah and peel back the layers of his thinking when he receives the prophecy of doom and gloom. Like any good politician, he spins it to put this really bad news in the best possible light. 
It's a tragic end to a good beginning. Now, I don't want to make things more confusing for us if you've been confused by the way that Isaiah writes and some of the things that he says. But really, what, it should, what we should say is, the more proper way to say it is, this is a bad beginning with a good ending because the biblical writers actually reverse the chronology of what's happening. Chapter 39 happens before chapters 36 and 37. So we're showing actually the beginning of the story of Hezekiah here at the end of this fourth cycle. So Isaiah wants us to see something really important in here about our great spiritual need of our great spiritual Savior. And I want to see this in three ways this morning. First, we're going to look at the highs of Hezekiah's life. Uh, That's in chapter 38. Then the lows of Hezekiah's life in chapter 39. And then finally, we're going to look at the hope. What's the hope from this passage? So let's begin with chapter 38, the highs. This really is the high point of Hezekiah's story. If you go back to chapter 36 and 37, you see Hezekiah crying out in humility to God for national rescue. And that's a high point for Hezekiah as well. Well, in chapter 38, we see Hezekiah now crying out to God for individual rescue through sickness. And I want you to notice the paradoxical way that true faith in Yahweh or Jesus Christ works. When I say Yahweh or Jesus, they're one and the same, just so you know. Yahweh is Jesus. The high point for Hezekiah's life, the high points, should I say, are not when he is doing the big stuff or the great stuff for Yahweh. No, the high points are when he can't do anything for Yahweh or himself. That is the true nature of true Christianity. And it is the hardest lesson for us to learn. Greatness does not come from our strength. It actually comes in the midst of our weakness because that is when God's greatness is most magnified. The world says that the opposite is true. When you are strong, then you are the most useful, you are the most desirable, and then you are really great. But too often, Christians seek power in order to make a big difference for God. Well, I think these chapters are a biblical corrective to that faulty thinking. So we pick up the story. Chapter 38, Hezekiah is sick. He's in bed. He's at the point of death. Now, we don't know exactly what this sickness is, but Isaiah tells the servant at the end of the chapter, bake a cake of figs and place it on a boil. So apparently he has a boil, and maybe the boil has become infected, and then sepsis has run through his body. We don't know. We really just know that he's really, really sick, and he's almost dead. Now, we'll get to the cake of figs and what that means in a moment. But for right now, I want you to notice that he is really sick. And Isaiah comes to him with this message. And you see the message there uh, in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. And I want you to realize that that statement from Isaiah, although he's giving it to Hezekiah during his acute illness... It's a statement that applies to everyone. It applies to you this morning because you will die. 
This is the condition of mankind in this life because of sin's reign over this body of death. Hebrews 9.27 says, For as it is appointed once for man to die, and after that comes the judgment. It is appointed for all of us to die. And the Lord's command to Hezekiah is the same to us. Because you will die, you do not know what is going to happen in one second from now. You need to set your house in order right now. That is to say that you need to live each day as if it was your last and take care of the really important things. What are the important things? The important things are the eternal things, the things pertaining to eternal life and faith in Jesus Christ. Is your house in order today? Do you, you do not know what will come in a few seconds from now. So set your house in order. Make the main things the main things. And do it right now. Let's go back to Hezekiah. After Isaiah leaves, Hezekiah is understandably despondent. So what does Hezekiah do? He turns his face to the wall, maybe to get some privacy, maybe because it's just an indication of how depressed and despondent he is. And he cries out to the Lord. He prays an interesting prayer. Notice the prayer that he prays. He says essentially this. Well, let me read it in verse 2. Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. Essentially, he prays, Lord, treat me according to my faithfulness and to my righteousness. Now, historically speaking, Hezekiah is one of the more righteous kings. And relatively speaking, he, had, he did do some really good, righteous things. But this prayer is not one of those righteous things that he did. This is not a righteous prayer prayed by a righteous man. How do I know that? Because the Bible says no one is righteous. No, not one. This prayer is a prayer of pride. And consequently, because he prays this prayer of pride, the Lord should reject this prayer. But what does the Lord do? He responds with grace. The Lord hears Hezekiah's prayer and he spares his life. Now, you and I don't know what God's secret will is or what he will do from moment to moment, except that we do know Somehow, in the sphere of the sovereignty of God, He hears our prayers, and in a sense, our prayers will cause Him to change His mind. That's kind of a weird way to say it, and it's probably an inaccurate way of saying it. But somehow or another, our prayers are effective in the sovereignty of God. Every place in the Bible when God, God changes His mind, He does so in order to be gracious. Not because what he was going to do was wrong. He could have taken Hezekiah's life and he would have been absolutely just in doing it. But he changes his mind. He spares Hezekiah's life in order to show his grace. So what is the ground of the Lord's grace to Hezekiah? It's not the righteousness of Hezekiah. You can look at chapter 39 and see that he's not that righteous. So what is the ground? Well, God says that he is the God of David. He's remembering his covenant with David. He remembered that he made a promise. God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. 
He made promises to David and he is going to keep his promise to David who was Hezekiah's great-great-great-great-grandfather. And we need to remember that God does answer our prayers. But when he does it, he always does it by his grace because of his covenantal commitment. God is gracious to us because he wants to be gracious, not because we deserve it and not because Hezekiah deserves it. Well, in this instance, this, this great high point for Hezekiah, we see a miraculous sign that God uses to prove that his word is true. And I want you to remember that God always provides a sign to confirm his promises. What does he do? He makes the shadow on a sundial go backwards. And that is to say that he's turning back the clock on Hezekiah's sickness and on his sin. But then I want you to notice the fig cake. This, is a, this would have been a very ordinary part of any meal, especially a meal for a king, but, but even poor people would have had fig, fig cakes that they would have eaten. And it's a reminder to us that, this, that the Lord uses both the miraculous and the mundane to accomplish His will. Sometimes the Lord will do a miracle, but oftentimes He just uses a fruit cake to do what He wants. And this is Hezekiah at his very best. When he's sick, when he's dying, when he calls out to the Lord for help. His prayer is not one for us to model. But we should remember that we also are at our best when we are calling out to the Lord in absolute weakness for help. When do you think you're actually at your best? When you're displaying your, most comp- your highest competency? Or when, you're, or when you're at your lowest displaying the Lord's great competency for you? And all of this, I think, actually should change the way that we think about something like getting older, about losing our strength. It should change the way we think about people with disabilities, about getting sick, and about a whole host of other things, a whole lot of other things that display weakness in our lives. Because in the Lord's hands, our weakness, He uses to display His strength. That's Hezekiah at his highest. Then we turn to the lows, point two, chapter 39. The next thing Isaiah shows us is a healthy Hezekiah receiving and hosting Babylonian diplomats. I don't have time to go into all the historical details of this visit, so I'll give you just a thumbnail sketch of what's happening. All through the reign of the Assyrians, the Babylonians were trying to usurp the reign of the the Assyrians. And one of the ways that they did that was they tried to get all of the regional rulers on their side so that when they overthrew the Assyrians, all these other regions would overthrow them as well. And so, in order to curry favor with one of those regional rulers, Hezekiah, Baladon, the king of the Babylonians, sent his son to make a treaty with him. And his son's name is Merodach Baladon, which means uh, Marduk is my father. Um, Marduk was a pagan god, nasty god, uh, and here are pagans coming to the Judeans uh, as a kind of a, a diplomatic means in order to make a treaty with them. So what does Hezekiah do? Well, he really enjoys all of this attention he's getting from the Babylonians. The Babylonians were very powerful. They were very wealthy. And 
Hezekiah wants them to think a lot of him as well. So he shows off his wealth. And it's a way for him to say, look how rich and cosmopolitan we are. We're just like you, very strong Babylonians. You definitely want us on your team. Well, we need to remember that the Lord never grants wealth to his people so that we will show it off. The Lord gives wealth so that his people will tell others about the greatness of God. Now, this visit would have been a wonderful opportunity to share the good news of Yahweh to these pagans who did not know him and did not believe in him. During this visit, however, there's absolutely no mention of the Lord. There's not even an offhanded remark that the Lord should be praised for his generosity to Judah. Here is Hezekiah in the eyes of the world at his strongest, his wealthiest, his most influential. But in the eyes of the Lord, he's at his lowest. And because of all of his pride, Isaiah visits and he informs Hezekiah that all of his wealth is going to be taken from him and from his children. And Hezekiah in his pride believes that it's better for his children to suffer for his unfaithfulness. That is an evil that seems to be running rampant in our country today. But I digress. And I want you to understand exactly what's being asked or what's being told to Hezekiah. He's being told that his sons, his grandchildren will be made eunuchs to serve the pagan king of the Babylonians. They will be castrated And Hezekiah says, oh, that's a good thing as long as I don't have to suffer for it. And Judah's wealth would eventually be carried away and belong to other nations. The first stage of that came when the Assyrians gave, when he gave much of the wealth uh, out of the temple to the Assyrians. And we saw that in chapter 36. Then it happened about 100 years later when the Babylonians, the descendants of Baladon, took the wealth and the Judean captives uh, into Babylon That's what happened in the Babylonian captivity with King Nebuchadnezzar. And one of the real tragedies of this event is that the only reasons why the Assyrians ever came to Judah was because they heard that they were mixing with the Babylonians. Hezekiah, on the heels of being healed by the Lord, has so quickly forgotten the Lord and all of his benefits. One of those benefits was Isaiah the prophet, He could consult with him. He could hear directly from the Lord. Now, if Hezekiah forgot so quickly after being miraculously healed, don't you think that we should pay attention and make sure that we don't forget as well? Well, of course we should. I want you to notice where Hezekiah's heart truly was during this episode. His heart was on his monetary resources. It was on his treasure. His treasure was his treasure. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hezekiah treasured his actual treasure. And then, more subtly, he also treasured the opinions of the Babylonians. And I would say for us, those are two major pitfalls for almost all of us. We set our hearts on wealth, either how much or how little we have. And we set our hearts on what others think of us. And we treasure those things higher than we treasure the Lord. So what are you treasuring this morning? If you're treasuring wealth, 
either how much or how little you have, your life is going to be consumed by it. And all of your problems will flow either from being rich or from being poor. If your treasure is the opinion of others, then your life is going to be consumed with things like how you look, what you say, what crowd accepts you, and what you need to do to improve your social standings or get more likes on Instagram or Facebook or any of those things. Now, if that is you this morning, you are not treasuring the Lord and you're in danger. For those that die in that condition, they waste their lives on the non-eternal things, the things that you can't take with you when you go. And we need to be reminded of the harsh words of Jesus when he warns us that if we put our trust in those earthly things, then we will be destroyed along with those things. So put your trust in Jesus. Treasure Jesus over everything in this world. Now finally, what is our hope this morning? I would say that there's two hopeful things that emerge from this passage. The first is found in chapter 38, verse 17. Look there with me real quick. This is his prayer of thanksgiving. And Isaiah says, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. Isaiah, and when he says bitterness there, I mean, we could put the word sickness. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had this sickness. In the hands of the Lord, your sickness, your weakness, whatever it is, is actually for your welfare. It is for your good. There's a song that we sing that Alexander loves, that I love it, and it says, God makes messy things beautiful when you put them in his hands. That's one of the hopeful things that we see in this passage. And in that same prayer, let me say, he makes your sickness, he makes your disease, he makes your inability, and even all of your failures for your welfare. That's good news. In the same prayer, he says that the reason why God can do this is because he has cast all of Hezekiah's sins behind his back. God has made his sins vanish from his side. It's like he's holding them here, you see him, you see him, you see him, they're gone. God no longer sees Hezekiah's sin. It's his grace. Well, how has God made his sins vanish? He's not a magician. He doesn't just say, poof, they're gone. Well, that leads me to the second hopeful thing this morning. You realize this morning we've been told the story of a real human king who was not righteous, who received help when he cried out to the Lord. In the coming weeks, and let me just explain why this is here. In the coming weeks, in the next 16 chapters of Isaiah, we're going to see the prophecy of the only righteous man who ever lived, who came not as a king, but as a suffering servant, who will receive a punishment that he does not deserve, who cried out to the same God that Hezekiah cried out to, but did not receive an answer. He is the only one who deserved rescue, but what did he receive? He received the wrath of God that Hezekiah and you and I deserve. And that man, the suffering servant, is the true king of righteousness. And he did all that he did, taking God's wrath, the wrath that we deserve on himself, because of his great love for us. 
He did it for proud and arrogant men and women and children like Hezekiah who believe we are good enough and we have earned the favor of the Lord. This is the really good news this morning. If it were up to us and our righteousness, you understand this would be as good as it gets. But because of Jesus Christ this morning, there is so much more waiting for us. There is a crown of righteousness laid up for us in the heavenly places because of Jesus. Jesus is as good as it gets. Let's pray. Father, we we do pray that you would help us to see the glory of Jesus Christ in all of his suffering that he took for our sake. And I pray that we would understand that you have given us the righteousness that we need so that we can stand before you and we can praise you the way that Hezekiah has praised you in this passage. We thank you for removing our sin from us through faith in Jesus. I pray that everyone here would have that faith. I pray that we would trust in Jesus, that our treasure would be him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.